Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Have you noticed like how easy it is to kind of get caught up in a moment of jubilation and joy and celebration? And then have you ever had, a, had something like this happen to you where you're like super excited and you're just kind of going with the flow of a moment and then you realize, wait, what's this have to do with me? Like good for them. Like for instance, uh, I'm a sports fan. Any sports fans in the house? Any Toronto Raptors fans? Okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Are you post-2019 Raptors fans or are you a Raptors fan like me? Were you there in the days of Andrea Bargnani? Do you even know that name? No, I've been a lifelong Raptors fan. I'll tell you what, on that 2019 title run, some of you are like, what is he talking about? Is this, is this badminton? No, it's basketball. In that 2019 title run, when my Raptors won that title, I was through the moon. Like I was overjoyed. And then I had this realization somewhere along my parade was, wait, there is no we. We didn't win anything. I'm not a raptor. <laughs> it's like, good for them. You know, like, have you ever been caught up in something? Any sports fans know how easy that is? Oh, we got a good team this year. No, well, we don't have anything. The Blue Jays are looking good, but uh, good for them, right? Good for them. Maybe some of you aren't sports fans. You're, you're, in, you're watching The Bachelor, the final rose, and you are like emotionally all the way in, like tears. I'm just so happy for them. I don't know. <sighs> She said yes. Right? And then you realize you're sitting in your basement in your pajamas with your cats and Cheetos. And you're like, wow, good for them. Really doesn't have anything to do with me. There is this way that you and I as people can kind of get caught up in moments. And we stop and then ask the question, yeah, but what does this actually have to do with me? Like good for them. And I use this analogy to help kind of get into the conversation when it comes to this idea of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the one who we have been singing about, how he came and lived the perfect life and taught as one with authority. He filled the scriptures with the most incredible teaching that exists to this day. No one has said more brilliant or authoritative things. He died on a Roman's cross. He rose again on the third day, just like he said he would. And that's really exciting. And for 2,000 years, people have been celebrating Easter. And right now, even today, 2 billion people on planet Earth will celebrate the name of Jesus and get very excited about what he accomplished. But I think a lot of us, if we're really honest, sometimes we have this deep gnawing voice that says, yeah, well, good for Jesus. What's this really have to do with me? Like, what's the big deal for me? Like, I can see why we could celebrate, like, this amazing accomplishment. What an incredible story we're telling. But is this something that has to do with me? I want today, for a couple minutes, to look at John chapter 3, the story of a man who was in search of life, in search of meaning, in search of something that had eluded him his whole life. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus explains why what he's about to do isn't good for Jesus, it's good for him, it's good for you, it's good for us, how Easter is good for you. John chapter 3 records the story of a man named Nicodemus. 
Now, some of you might never have heard that story before if you're maybe new to church. Nicodemus is this chapter, it's recorded in this chapter where you get one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But it's in the context of this conversation with a guy named Nicodemus that that verse even finds its place. And I want to look at it today because it has everything to do with why you should be celebrating with ultimate joy what Jesus has done, who he is, and what he has done on your behalf. And Jesus explains it right here to Nicodemus. So let's dive in. I won't be long, but I think this is important as we head into the ultimate celebration with these baptisms. Verse 1 says this, Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Now let's just pause there for a second and make sure we see what's going on here. We can find out even in this couple verses a whole lot about this person, Nicodemus, just by what John decided to include here as details. We can be like Sherlock Holmes and deduce his life, really, just on these few clues. It tells us that he was a Pharisee, which means that he was part of like a, a religious order, the Jewish order, the, the cream of the crop, the top of the tier. This guy had studied his whole life, and he himself had become a great leader and authority inside the Jewish religion. And so he was well-respected inside his community and in his context. He, from the time he could talk and read, was studying the Torah. If you talked to Nicodemus and you said, what does Deuteronomy 3.14 say? He could tell you by memory. He could quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers from memory. This guy was well-read. This guy knew the Old Testament inside and out. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious legal expert. But also it tells us in verse 1, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only was he inside the, the kind of the movers and shakers and the most respected people of his day, but of that group, he was part of an even smaller group that was the high council. He was one of the most influential men in all of Israel at the time of Jesus. He had prestige, success, notoriety, power, influence, money, comfort, Everything that you could try to achieve and obtain in the culture and community of Israel, Nicodemus had it. And yet, we're told, despite all of his accomplishments, all of his money, all of his influence, all of his success and notoriety, even the respect that he had in the community as a morally upright man, despite all of those things, there was still something that was gnawing at him enough to go and seek out this man, Jesus, that he'd heard so much about. Now, it tells us in verse 1 that he came to Jesus, not in broad daylight, he came at night. There's a reason for that. Because if you read the Gospels, you'll find out Nicodemus' buddies, the other Pharisees, did not enjoy Jesus a whole lot. He, in fact, they were, in fact, the main drivers behind his crucifixion. And so, literally, Nicodemus was kind of taking his life into his own hands by meeting with Jesus at all, and he comes there at night. So, you get the picture about this man who, although he had everything, was willing to risk everything because there was one thing he was in search of. There was life yet to be found, and he had not found it anywhere else. That's important. I mean, he hadn't found it in his studies. 
He hadn't found it in his career. He hadn't found it in his relationships. We don't know much about his family, but we do know this. This guy had a lot, but he'd had nothing. And he was willing to risk everything to go and meet with Jesus. That's the backstory that we get. And he comes to Jesus and he says in verse 2, let's bring that back up. He says, Rabbi. So that's important you see that too. He's already concluded that Jesus is his authority. So that tells us that he's been following Jesus for a little while, studying his words and realize this man is not your average man. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could do what you're doing if it weren't so. Normal people don't touch blind eyes that make them see. Normal people don't say the things you're saying. You speak as one with authority. Normal people, Jesus, don't walk on top of water. We sink. Normal people don't take five pieces of bread and a couple fish and feed the multitudes. Normal people don't say at their word, get up, take your mat and walk and see a person who is paralyzed for their whole life walk. You are different. You are from God. And so he'd already done the searching. Some of you are searching right now. Maybe you're in our alpha course and you're asking those big questions. Keep searching. You will find the truth. His name is Jesus. But Nicodemus had already searched and he had determined that if there's any hope, it's found in you. And so he comes and he sits down with Jesus, and then Jesus, being the most brilliant person that has ever existed, dives right into where we all need to go. Look what he says in verse 3. Jesus replies to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, I know you're searching for life and you've searched the scriptures and you've searched the rules and regulations of being a Pharisee and you've searched in relationships and in success. But I'm telling you something right now, Nicodemus, if you want to experience the kingdom of God like transcendence, real, meaningful, eternal life, you're not going to find it in the material world. You have to be born anew again. Now, it's really important what Jesus says here because this is very different than what Nicodemus would have heard in his religious day and very different than what you're going to hear from marketers and gurus. You're going to hear like, help, here, we're here to help you improve your life. Jesus did not come to improve your life. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He actually came to bring a life that actually does not exist apart from him. And this is what he's saying to Nicodemus, saying, Nicodemus, you don't need another TED Talk or Tony Robbins DVD. You don't need five quick steps to help get your life back in order. You don't need a life hack. You need to be born again. There is a life that has to happen apart from you. You're not going to find it in this material world. You must be born again. Again, now, if you find that cryptic and you find that a little bit hard to wrap your head around, don't worry, Nicodemus did too. Look what he says, verse 4. Okay, well, I want life, Jesus. This sounds great, so how do, we, how do we get born again? How do we do that? He says, how can someone be born, verse 4, when they're old? I, I don't know how this is going to work. He says, surely, this is kind of tongue-in-cheek. You can kind of hear him smirk and snicker here and, and chuckle. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. It's like, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? Being born again. Like, we're, we're here, man. This is it. I go, you only get one life. Do not miss your chance. To... Now he's quoting Eminem. <laughs> Verse 5 says, Jesus answered. No, 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 no. 
Truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and, say it, the, yeah, unless you're born of water and spirit. So Jesus is saying there's this additional birth that needs to happen if you're going to be truly alive. That if you are just born of water, you're going to be searching for life. But when you get born of the spirit, this second new birth, that's the life you were looking for. Everyone is born of water. All of you in this room were born of water. Whether you know your parents or not, your biological mother or not, water broke before you came into this world. You were born of water, but Jesus says there's a second birth that has to happen. Something needs to break in the spirit, and you need to be born in the spirit. And when you are born in the spirit, that's where the real life comes. That's where eternal life comes. Look, look what Jesus said. Verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So humans, human bodies give birth to human babies. But watch this. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So God's spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, Jesus says, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now you're thinking, did Jesus go down a rabbit trail here? Why is he talking about the wind all of a sudden? We were tracking with the water thing. What's this wind all about? Well, the word wind here, Nicodemus would have known fully exactly what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus says the word wind in verse 8, it's, there's a Greek word there called pneuma. And pneuma is interchangeable. Wind and spirit, it's the same word. And it's also connected to an Old Testament word called ruach. It's a fun word to say. You've got get to the, get the throat in it. Ruach. And that's the same word. It means wind, spirit, or breath. And so if you go back maybe this afternoon and you open a Bible and you go to Genesis chapter 1 and read on the sixth day when God made man in his image, it said he formed him out of the dust, out of the material world. But then it says this very important thing. It says, and then God breathed the breath of life into the man, the ruach, the pneuma, the wind, and he became a living being. So Jesus is connecting that principle of the wind that principle that apart from the breath of God, breathing in your life, conceiving life that can only happen apart from you, you are not fully alive. And you can fill your life, Nicodemus, with memorizing all the Old Testament you want. You can climb the, the corporate ladder. You can get all the influence, all the money, all the riches in the world. You will not fill that open space in your soul. There is a womb in your soul that needs to give birth to the Spirit. And when you give, when the Spirit of God breathes over your life and speaks the word over your life, it conceives life new. That's what it means to be born again. Like, let me give you a couple ideas as to what it looks like to be born again. When you are born in this world, what happens? Well, first and foremost, when you were a baby and you were born, you were born into a whole new reality. You left the reality of your mother's womb and you came out into this cold, bright, dry environment. And you're opening your eyes and trying to get your bearings. And we spend our whole lives, frankly, getting acquainted with this world. In the same way, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God gives birth to his Spirit in your life. And he opens up a whole other world to us. Our spiritual eye gets open and we start to see that there's more going on in this world than meets the eye. 
It's not all just flesh and blood and gravity and physics. It's not all just biology and chemistry. You aren't just atoms and material, but there is a spiritual reality that in fact, the more you get acquainted with this new world and this this new birth life, the more you start to realize that the invisible unseen reality is actually the greater of the two. And so you become acquainted with this new worldview. Jesus becomes your truth. But also when you were born, you were born into an identity, weren't you? Some of you, you were born like Carrie into a, a difficult family environment. Some of you were born into a healthy family environment. But in any case, you were born into an actual identity. You have a last name. You have parents. You have a facial uh, features. You have certain color hair. There's an identity that is attached to birth, Correct. The same goes for spiritual birth. When God gives birth to your spirit, you take on a whole new identity. Where I wish I could preach on this longer. We don't have time today. But God takes you from being an orphan to being a son or daughter of God. You're actually brought into his household. I think that's the most like, oh, the part of Carrie's story that just hits me so hard in my chest and in my gut is like, yes. She has been accepted into a family that is eternally stable and it's not based on the conditions of her life or or whether she's able to get her stuff together or she's safe with the father. She has this whole new identity that's happened apart from her. It's something the father did on her behalf. And that's what it means for us to be born again. We're brought into a whole new identity, restored accepted, vindicated, justified, forgiven, made new. Can I get an amen? Amen. Number three, we're born into a new trajectory, into a new hope. I had to use the word trajectory, hon. She hates that word. I don't know why she doesn't like the word trajectory. I had to find one that ended with why. But you're born into a new hope. The the destiny, I could have used destiny. That's what I could have used. You're born into a new destiny. You've been given a whole new direction that God hasn't just called you his own, but he's, he's put identity on you and he's called you to a purpose and you have a hope now that no matter what happens in this material world cannot be taken away. Doesn't matter if you lose your retirement, your real hope is in heaven. It can't be taken away. Doesn't matter if you have to say goodbye to a loved one, you have a real hope that cannot be taken away. That's in Christ Jesus. To be born again is to be born into a whole new existence. And this is what Nicodemus came to hear. And this is what you need to hear. If you want real life, you're not going to find it in your retirement being just perfect. You're not going to find it in that promotion. You're not even going to find it in those relationships or substances. Real life is found through the breath, the voice of of God spoken into your life where he conceives something that you can't do for yourself. Now listen. Raise your hand if it was your decision to be born the first time. No, it's not something you did for yourself. And guess what? Being born again, although it's your decision through faith that it's, it happens, but it's not by your power that you're born again. It's not something that you and I can just do for ourselves. It's something that God does on our behalf. Look what, look what happens next. I'm almost done and we'll, we'll wrap up. I, I, I hear the kids at the door. They're coming in for the baptisms. So verse 9, Nicodemus asks the million-dollar question. 
the eternal, infinite dollar question. Okay, being born again sounds great. A whole new life, yes. Perfect peace, power, purpose, identity, hope, joy. Yes, please. How do I do that, he says. How can this be? And then Jesus starts to respond, well, Nicodemus, Brent, brother, sister, it's not actually what you have to do. It's what I'm going to do. Here's how you get born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus, verse 10, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we do not know. We speak of what we do not know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now here it is, verse 14. Okay, after he kind of rebukes Israel and rebukes Nicodemus for not understanding what the whole Bible has been talking about, Jesus puts it plainly so Nicodemus could understand. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. There's that word again, pneuma, life in him. So Jesus is referencing something that Nicodemus would have known exactly what he was talking about. In Numbers, in the, in the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, it tells the story of the children of Israel. And they were under a great plague from poisonous snakes. They were killing them. Just they were being overridden, the whole nation being overridden by poisonous snakes. Because they'd stepped out of obedience with God and they'd been relished under the curse. And all of a sudden they're under this major trauma. And Moses cries out to God and says, God, save us, spare us. We don't deserve it, but we need your mercy to save us. And God, in his mercy, tells Moses, I'm going to make a way for you to be saved from the venomous snakes so you don't have to die. Take, Moses, a bronze serpent. Form a serpent out of bronze and put it on a post and raise the post high so that when the people of Israel look at the post, they look at the snake they will be healed and saved. And the story goes that they were saved by the grace of God through this act of divine provision. So when Jesus, hang with me, I'm almost done. When Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What is he talking about? The Son of Man being lifted up. Well, instead of a bronze serpent on a pole, you have the Son of God on a wooden cross being lifted up so that anyone who looks at him is saved. That's what he's talking about. Verse 15, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, say that with me, that Whoever, this is fun Greek study you can do. You can go into this website and I'll show you the word in the Greek. The word whoever, it actually means whoever. <laughs> yes, right? You mean me? You mean even them? You mean even me? Yes, whoever means whoever. Hallelujah. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Just receive that, all you whosoevers. Just receive it fresh today. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. How can you be spared? How can you have new life? How can you be born again? 
believe in the one God sent. Believe in him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. You're sunk. You're dead. You're dead. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. The only way to experience true, new, ultimate life is through belief, faith in the son of God. And when you put your faith in him, the wind of the spirit blows into the cavern of your soul and gives birth to eternal life that starts now and goes on after your body dies. So, it's Easter. Good for you. Good for me. Jesus died on the cross in my place. Good for us. Jesus rose from the dead. Good for me. Good for you. Jesus ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father where we are seated with him in heavenly places and he will come again to establish his kingdom fully even though while we wait, he is saving more people. Good for us. Good for us. Good for us. Why is Easter good news? Why is Easter good news for you? Because real everlasting life comes through being born again of the Spirit. If you've not been born again, you are not experiencing real, full, true, everlasting life. And Jesus' life, his death and resurrection have made the new life possible for all who believe. Let me read this scripture in closing. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, said it like this. Praise be to God. And the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he's given us what? There it is. New birth. A new life. A whole new being. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's Easter. Say good for you. Good for you. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for us. I'm going to pray two, two things. I'm going to pray for those of us who were already believers, but maybe over these last couple years, we've been looking to other things to find life where there is no life. The angel said on Resurrection Day, why do you look for the living among the dead? Can I remind you, saints, today that real life is found in Jesus? Okay? Your career is great. Your family is great. Those things are all blessings. But real, true life is found in Jesus. I'm going to pray for some of us that we would just reset our gaze on the one who is lifted up on our behalf. And I think there might be some here today that you've never heard it this way. And today it's clicking. You're like, I need to be born again. I've not been born again. You can do that too. By putting your faith in Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's through faith. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to pray a prayer. Father, on behalf of my brothers and sisters right now who we are believers, but God, I pray today for focus. Lord, I pray that we would turn to the one who is lifted up on our behalf and we would see in him real life. Father, for the one who came, they knew better over the last couple of years, maybe made some mistakes. Lord, I pray that fresh grace would flow to them even as they look to you in a new way today. Lord, I pray for the one who's been wandering. God, I pray that they'd come back to you and they'd find a father who puts the robe around them, the ring on their finger and says, come on in for you were lost and now you're found. Let's celebrate. 
And God, for the one who's here today that's never put their faith in you today, I pray that they would do that. And if that's you, just the head bowed and the eyes closed, would you pray this prayer after me? Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I want to be born again. I put my faith in you. I look to you now and forever. Amen.